Good Sunday morning, Northgate. It is time to get into God's Word again, and we're in a series in the parables, and we're going to be looking at Matthew 25, the parable of the talents today. But let's pray and ask God to bless His Word. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will speak to us, encourage us about who you are. Lord, we know you're coming again. May we live ready. And pray this in your precious name. Amen. So last week, we talked about the parable of the wise builder at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. That was one of Jesus's longest teachings and lots of parables in there. And today we're going to talk another parable at another uh, part of Scripture, which is a long teaching of Jesus. So to backtrack from Matthew 25, where our parable is today, we have to go back to the context to Matthew 24 and what Jesus was talking about. It says this, Then Jesus went out, in Matthew 24, 1, and departed from the temple, but his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another, that shall not be thrown down. So the disciples say, wow, look at this temple. Jesus looks at it, gives this prophecy and says to them, well, you know what? This is not going to last. And, and we know history tells us that the Romans are going to come in and destroy that temple. But at this point, he has his disciples with him at this entry point, And he begins to talk to them about the signs of the times and the end of the age. Matthew 24 is quite a famous section all about the end times and some things that will happen and what we'll see, the great tribulation and then the coming of the Son of Man, not to be deceived by different things. And probably the big application point or one of them from Matthew 24 is when Jesus says this in verse 36 but of that day and hour no one knows not even the angels of heaven but my father only and in saying that what he's telling the disciples and telling us is to live ready to watch therefore he says in verse 42 verse 44 of Matthew 24 be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour that you do not expect so the whole idea jesus is getting into it there will be a season maybe recognizable but the hour and the time we don't know and we need to live ready as he speaks of the events of this and what some will be as you journey on then into matthew chapter 25 he gives three different parables to explain how to be ready. Applicationally, what does that look like? And he uses these parables, and we've discussed these short fictional stories to speak or bring application to the kingdom of God or God or how we should be living. So the first one, and I don't want to get into one and three too much, but number two, probably specifically this morning, is the parable of the wise and foolish virgins and you probably heard that before of the wedding and the bridesmaids these virgins 10 of them and five were wise and five were not and they brought extra oil 
Now, this parable would have made sense to the people at that time because the way they celebrated a marriage is quite different than the way we do now. So there was kind of three phases in regards to that, the engagement, betrothal, and then finally the marriage itself. But it was something where the one, the groom would be preparing a room in his father's house and then he would go and get the bride in a season she knew, but the hour she would not. So she had to be ready and her bridesmaids there with her and he could come at any point. And that's the point of this little parable because he says in verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Oil, the Holy Spirit in us. Oil, the Holy Spirit, the gifts that we have that we need to be operating within this, being ready for when God sends Jesus back to this earth, we don't know, but we need to be ready. And we want to be like those wise ones waiting for the groom who could appear at 10 times. Why 10? Uh, I think history and culture would tell us in the Jewish wedding, there was always usually 10 bridesmaids uh, for the bride. And so that brings us into this idea, okay, well then watch and wait and be ready. What does that look like for me? How do I wait? Do I sit on the couch? Do I go find a cottage and just wait for the Lord? And that's why he gives the parable of the talents in verses 14 through 30. So I'm going to read that for us now. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look there, you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you know that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers at my coming. I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he 
will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So quite a story, quite a little parable here. And as you read the end, you're like, wow, just because that guy was timid or fearful, man, he got the uh, wrong end of the stick. Why was God like that? And it takes our looking maybe a little deeper into the parable to understand, to learn, to grow. Remember, always thinking of application. How are we waiting? How are we watching for the Lord's return? Well, first and foremost, just to point out a few things that will help us. Talents aren't what we think. The Greek language and the English language, we would think, well, I have a talent to preach or or you might have a talent to do something. I don't know if I have a talent to preach. I'm just saying sports, music, however you want to fill that in, your talent. And we think, well, yeah, just use your talent for the Lord. And some of that's correct. But a talent wasn't the way we think. In the Greek, it was a measure of weight. So actually, in the NIV, it says bags of gold. Because a talent was a measure of resources. Some commentaries would say even 20 years wages was one talent. So we're talking about a lot of money. But for the sake of it, it could be money, resources, our time. We could put anything in there. But it's important to note that it's not just your ability. It's interesting to note that not everyone receives the same amount, yet it is a lot some have a little more than others. And that's okay, because we're all unique and different. The master doesn't compare them to how many they had at the beginning, but rather what they did with what they have. So, you know what? We're great at comparing, but God's not a com one to compare. And he gives each of us something. He is a giving, generous God we see that he just gives to these servants. They didn't ask, he just gives, he's faithful and is always giving. Interesting, as he goes away to in verse 19, it says he comes after a long time. Because sometimes we think, well, God, are you gonna judge me on this moment of life or this moment when you come back or, or this moment? No, it's a long journey. And I think that's important to realize. It says, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came to settle the accounts. So here, here they come, the one with five, two, and one. And we read the story. But it's really important to see that these three, two of them viewed God completely different than the third one. The third one, for some reason, completely opposite to the first two. And we have no indication to really why he would think this in our story other than what he says. He says, I was afraid in verse 25. So I hid your talents in the, the ground. And look that you're a man who's had much success that you reap where you have not sown and gather where you have not scattered. He even says, you're a hard man, but it doesn't make sense with the, with the other servants because the other servants, it's only seen that God is generous. He wants them to succeed. 
He even gives them the portion that they make. He's a blessing master, and we can say he's a blessing God. He's a good God. He's He gives, and even when we do things for him and use our resources, our abilities, and time, at the end of the story, he gives more. He gives back, because that's the nature of God. But this other fellow, because of fear... And why is this fear? It seems because the master is successful, that he reaps where he's not sown and gathers where he's not scattered, that he's so good that he just reaps a harvest wherever he is, whether he does or someone else does it. And for some reason that creates fear within this other man to do nothing. His fear paralyzes him and it almost sounds like, to me, his view of God denotes his action for God. Now take this in, in maybe the picture of the end times. How do you view God? Why do you think God's coming back? Do you think God's coming back to, to bless you? Or do you think God's coming back to get you? And you might say, well, that, that's a good point. A lot of our theology looks at God's return and it creates fear. It, it, we only think of judgment and judgment is the last kind of thought to me in regards to Christ's return because Christ is coming back for us to reward us, to bless us, to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter, don't you love that phrase, into the joy of your Lord. But for some reason, we just have this fear. We have this fear of Christ's return. And we think that even with others, that fear will motivate to proper behavior. And it might for a season, but it seems very clear that love and seeing who God is, is what motivates us to work the hardest to accomplish things for the Lord. Now, that's obvious, but I can give you a little story maybe to help you out. Maybe, for, for example, if my wife left on a trip, and let's just say it was a weekend trip, but she said, I'm coming back Sunday, a season, and I didn't know at what point on Sunday, but she said, you know what? Keep the house clean. So as I traveled through the weekend, there's one or two motivations that will make me want to keep the house clean. Either be afraid of her, that she's going to be angry with me, like, why didn't you do that? Or I'm going to say, well, I love my wife. I love Amy and she likes a clean house. So I'm going to desire to love her back by keeping it clean. And I think the motivation of fear only lasts for a while and it's not really good. Now think about your master leaving your home and thinking, why do you keep your life clean? Why do you work for the Lord? Why do you use your resources? Why do you use your abilities for him? Is it out of fear thinking he's coming back and he might be mad at me and he's going to get me? Or no, God is so good. I love him. I want to keep my house clean. I want to do that. And I've noticed in this time, this season that we're in, where a lot of people are talking of the end, and 
obviously the season is coming closer. Every day we're closer. I'm not making any predictions here in Matthew 24. We, we don't know the day or the hour, right? But we're to be ready. But why are we to be ready is because we, we love God and we desire to use what he's given us that we may enter into the joy of our Lord because we know his love. And when he comes back, as Amy would come back, honey, look, it's beautiful for you, right? I love you. And it's the same thing for the Lord. Our view of God and who he is, is really, really important. And, and the reason I say this is because, I don't know, I see a lot of fear in this season. Um, when it comes to the Lord's return and he's out to get us and he's out to, yeah, correct us. And there's no doubt that God disciplines us, but I I want to be one who's using my gifts and abilities in a season where it seems like Christ's return is closer because I love him. And what was the mandate of Christ? And last week we looked at the Sermon on the Mount and we know it's to be peacemakers and pure in heart and to live holy lives internally. We know his mandate in Luke chapter four. And even if I turn there now, what was Christ all about? And how does he want us to live? How does he want us to use our gifts for his glory? Um, it's really interesting because I thought about this week into, okay, I'm using my abilities and my resources and I want to be like Christ. What is that going to look like? And in the Gospel of Luke, it says this quoting from Isaiah that we want to be like Christ to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me, Jesus, and what we want to do with Christ in us is to heal the brokenhearted. Do we see that all over, right? To proclaim liberty to the captives, recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. As I wait, I'm trying to be like Christ, using my abilities because I'm motivated to please him because I love him and I know he loves me. Amazing. Preaching the gospel, healing the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty, healing those who are blind, set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord. So encouraging. That's what we're called to do as we wait using these beautiful gifts God has done. And what fear does, and I think we all know this, it paralyzes us. When, when we're afraid, we cower. We don't do anything. I can remember in my life, there have been some sticky situations. And I remember with Joy being born and, you know, it, the midwives didn't know what to do. And finally the ambulance came and, you know, there was a little fear in me. So I kind of, like, I was paralyzed a bit and I, and I didn't know what to do. And sometimes as we see God, maybe in a way that we shouldn't, as this servant did, it paralyzes us to do nothing and just to hide what God has given us. And as I was studying this week and listening to some sermons, I heard a beautiful sermon on the word hide. He hid the money. And it's only used one other time, that Greek word in the New Testament. And that's in Matthew 5, back to last week, is we're supposed to shine our light 
to be um, that city on the hill, it would say in Matthew 5, but not to have that light hidden. Or the city on the hill cannot be hidden. We don't want to hide our light. Same word as hiding our resource that is given to us. We don't want to not be all we can for Christ out of fear. And it's so true, our fear of people. Uh, at times, even a wrong perspective of God, which paralyzes us and causes us to hide Christ in us, the shining of Christ to a world that needs this mandate of knowing him. It needs broken hearts and, and they're pressed to be healed. And we, because God loves us, knowing that shine using our resources as we wait for his return. But we don't live in fear and worry about every little thing that is happening because it can be such a distraction to what we're actually called to do. I find just amazingly thrilling this week going through these thoughts in the midst of where we are is we're not to to cower back in fear. We're not supposed to attack the government either or we're supposed to shine for Christ by helping those around us who need to know him. How do we wait? How are we ready? Matthew 24, waiting for him, using our resources, what he's made us to be, loving people, right? And then we enter into the joy of our Lord. Finally, it made me think of Enoch, and he's all the way back in Genesis. And maybe you know that character. He's one of a few in the Bible who never died. Him and um, Elijah there, taken up in the whirlwind. But Enoch was just, it says, taken. And this is Genesis chapter 5. It says, uh, Enoch lived um, 65 years and he had Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. He had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. Wow, what does that mean? I think the Hebrew word of studied and I've heard means translated, just taken, raptured, if you want to go to that lingo, just taken. He's walking with God. That pictures fellowship. And God just takes him. And that word translated can be, I've heard like the word transposed. So it's the same walk on earth as heaven, but just taken up. He was living in such fellowship with God that God just said, keep living that way and just come on up here where I am. What does this have to do with the end times and using our gifts? We say, well, times are evil. And there's no doubt, but I want to tell you, times have been evil before. And I tell you that because in Genesis 5, it was just before the flood, a generation or two where Enoch was living. Um, people weren't pleasing the Lord. Things were evil. Actually, when you get to the flood, just the imagination, the thoughts of men are always wicked. And God is going to judge that as he will judge in the end. But we see in Enoch's life, even in the midst of evil and difficulty, he had such fellowship with God that he walked with God. And basically, he lived in such a way that, hey, just come up to heaven. 
And I say that for us as we wait for the Lord. We know he's coming to judge, but we're not fearful. We know he's going to come for us. And we get to live in such a way, in such deep fellowship, using our gifts and abilities to the one we love, living ready, right? Living ready, not hiding on the couch, not worrying about the news, but in such a way that there's people around us who are broken and oppressed and through Christ in us, we can shine, not hiding that, that God will minister to them. Oh man, I love it in Matthew 5 because as we use our gifts and resources and the abilities God's given us as we shine, it says in Matthew 5 as well that God will get the glory. I love that. You glorify your Father in heaven because we know in Ephesians 2 that your way has been prepared, that your works have been prepared beforehand, that you're a trophy of grace and good works are ready for you to use the abilities, whether it's one or five or two or ten, it doesn't matter. We're not comparing because when Christ comes back, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Look what you've done. You've glorified me. People have been affected, have been changed because they've seen Christ in you. Amen. What an amazing parable. Be encouraged this week. Please be encouraged. Don't cower back thinking, that God's after you, but understand he loves you. Respond to that. Walk with him. Shine. Shine in your relationship, in your fellowship, in your walk with him. And man, that mandate of Christ, we want to live it for his glory. Praise God. Lord, would you help us this week? Thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us. Lord, we do love you. Pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, you have a great week. Be encouraged. Get into God's word. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.